We've reached the halfway point of the 2023 college football season, and Notre Dame's season is at a crossroads. Is Marcus Freeman going to be able to right the ship starting with a win over arch-rival USC, or are things going to go from bad to worse for the Irish? It's coming up next. You are Locked On Irish, your daily podcast on the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On Irish, your daily Notre Dame podcast. Today is Thursday, October 12th, and thank you for making this your first listen of the day. I'm your host, Tyler Wojak. I'm a Notre Dame alum and producer covering college football for Fox Sports. And this episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Right now, new customers can bet $5 and get 200 in bonus bets guaranteed. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On to get started. I'm really excited about today's show. Matt Fortuna from the Inside Zone and the Independent Podcast is, ju- is going to join me here in just a moment to do a midseason check-in on the Irish. We cover the state of the football program right now, and then we get into the upcoming game against USC and what a win would mean for this team and this season, because as bad as things seem right now, and they are bad, I think we're underestimating just how satisfying it would be to spoil USC's season and get some momentum going into the much-needed bye week. And I say we because I'm certainly guilty of that as well. But I appreciated Matt's perspective on the whole thing. And real quick, be sure to get your mailbag questions in for Friday's episode. You can send them in on Twitter, at Irish or on Instagram, at LockedOnIrishPod. Okay, let's bring in Matt. All right, I'm here with Matt Fortuna from the Inside Zone. And Matt, it's good to have you back. We've reached the halfway point of the college football season, and so much crazy stuff has happened already, particularly with the Notre Dame football program. They're 5-2 and two right now, and even though the record isn't that shocking, the path to get there certainly feels that way. So big picture, how would you assess the state of the team right now? Um, I'll take that question. I'll push it a little bit forward, Tyler. I said this on the independent this week and and I stand by it. I think right now we're looking at the most crucial game of the Marcus Freeman era, uh, this Saturday against USC. Uh, and I say that because look, there's a lot of, a lot of negative energy, at least around the fan base right now. Um, and, and probably within the program, just based on how they played uh, against Louisville the other night on top of the way they lost to Ohio state two weeks before that. And I just think, if you can go into your bye week with a signature win under the lights against your rival who's undefeated, has the Heisman winner, and has all the flash, um, you go into the bye week at six and two thinking, you know what? Like we we could still make a New Year's Six Bowl this year. We could still have a pretty damn good season. Now that that's not automatic, as we know, but they at least go into the the bye week with that kind of confidence. If they lose, um, we're looking at a five and three team that frankly I don't think has a whole lot to play for on the other end of their bye week. And when you've got that extra time between games, that's more dead air for people to raise questions and speculate and create some more negative energy around that program. And, and, you know, you look at where this program and this fan base was, you know, less than three weeks ago at 1150 PM or whatever it was, you know, during that final drive against Ohio state and just the way that place was ready to explode after an incredible start to the season versus where it is now, that would be a huge disappointment to have three losses between then and now and and to essentially waste the one year you have with Sam Hartman, who uh, say what you want about his play so far, good or bad. I, I still think he's easily the best guy they've had at that position since Brady Quinn, and to, to, to have your season essentially over slash eliminated before your first bye week, I think would be 
a gross disappointment. But they do have a great opportunity this week, and obviously Vegas thinks a winnable opportunity to to kind of change the narrative and, and get the vibes in the right place uh, moving forward to the second half of the year. You mentioned it. After that fourth and one stop by Notre Dame uh, against Ohio State, I'm in the crowd, and there was like a brief moment where I considered, is this team good enough to play in the national championship? Why, that why not, feels, right? <laughs> that, that feels like an eternity ago. Right. And maybe because it was in I, I do want to ask about Hartman later, but you have been around the program for a long time. You know this fan base, but you're not like a Notre Dame fan or a diehard or anything like that. So are you surprised at all? by the fans' perception of Hartman? Because you're right, this is the first time where the fan base has, I don't want to say started to turn on him a little bit, but the honeymoon period is over, the criticism has ramped up, and for as charismatic and as likable as he is, the mistakes on the field are making it really hard to sort of get over that right now. And I think this is the first time he's been the subject of the criticism that comes with being the Notre Dame head coach. Oh, sorry, Hartman or Freeman? I think you said Hartman. Freeman, Freeman. Freeman, sorry. okay. Um, no, because it's warranted. I mean, uh, I was surprised he didn't get more flack after the Ohio State game because, let's face it, that was a coaching loss um, in, a, in a number of different ways, in my opinion. They should have – you mentioned the fourth down stop. That game should have been over there. Notre Dame should have run out the been able to run out the clock, and I think they were able to run out the clock. I think they got too cute with their play calling, ended up giving Ohio State one more chance, and um, as good as that defense played, Ohio State's offense made the plays when it mattered most down the stretch and before, obviously, the – Faithful 10 men on the field, uh, final two plays. So um, you look at the way they lost that game. I think, you know, there was a, like, let's face it, like, everyone likes Marcus Freeman, right? He makes my job easier. He makes your job easier. Uh, he, he always falls on the sword. He says all the right things. For, during the offseason, you can't think of a better representative for Notre Dame football than this guy. And I think everyone wants him to succeed, even when they lose. It's like, come on, we got belief in you. Let's do this. It was not like that with the previous couple guys. Um, so I was a little surprised he didn't get more flack, frankly, with the way that Ohio State game ended. Because let's face it, we, we we thought it in real time. We didn't want to say it. I think we we feel more comfortable saying now that's the most gettable Ohio State team of probably the last decade. And Notre Dame couldn't beat them. I mean, they should have beat them, but they didn't. And they didn't, frankly, because of coaching. So I think that's very disappointing. I think the way they lost that game, again, I had not – Thank God for Mario Cristobal because he found an even dumber way to cost his team a victory, and that will forever be the standard, at least for this year, of coaching kind of malpractice. And I think that gives Notre Dame cover for the way uh, they lost the Ohio State game. But they come out with the Duke game, and it didn't look great for a while. They, they pulled it out at the end, and I think there was a feeling of, all right, like there's a bit of a Duke, excuse me, a bit of Ohio State hangover there, um, but they live to tell about it. And now they're going to beat Louisville, and then, you know, they'll pull all their eggs in the basket with USC. Well, based on the way they played against Louisville, you know, they didn't, they, they still have a hangover. They still have, are not quite prepared for this stretch of four, 7.30 PM games against four undefeated opponents. I mean, uh, you know, I think there are ways that game could have gone where they lost it. And you don't have all these questions that you have now. I mean, Louisville's not a bad football team by any stretch of imagination, but for Notre Dame to get blown off the ball like that, for them to make some of the just stupid decisions they made. And again, this was all coach. I mean, look, Sam Hartman didn't play well. A lot of players did not play well on offense. But like, I've never heard of any level of football basically having game day tryouts on the interior of your offensive line in the seventh game of the season. I mean, there's not one guy on that Notre Dame starting offensive line who would not start tomorrow on Louisville. Louisville's defense was nothing to be feared of. And 
they looked like the freaking steel curtain against that Notre Dame offense. It, it was, uh, I don't know how that happens. <laughs> Sam Hartman never let him play in the city of Louisville again. His teams have 13 turnovers over the last six quarters there. I don't know what's in the water there, but clearly it's not, and not all of them were his fault, but you know, he, he did not play well by any stretch of the imagination either. And it just, you know, I think everyone's worst fear when you promote a first time head coach at a job as big as this is, is he ready for it? Like, are we comfortable at a blue blood like Notre Dame with allowing someone to essentially learn on the job? Uh, and look, Ohio State had the same questions with Ryan Day. Uh, Oklahoma, when they promoted Lincoln Riley way back when, had the same questions. Like, this isn't a new kind of question that's unique to Notre Dame. But, you know, Mark Freeman was 35 years old when he got the job. Um, you know, he hired a lot of people that he was familiar with. Uh, this offseason, the the coordinator search was was just so bad and so many different levels. And the, the thinking was they went the cheap route or the friend route, however you want to frame it, they went with the safe play, which was not obviously their first, second, or probably third choice. And you see some of the decisions that were made, even, you know, calling a timeout uh, before third and 13, before the end of the first half, that then leads to Louisville getting a uh, field goal opportunity that they obviously missed before halftime. Just a bunch of in-game decisions that on top of what happened in the Ohio State game, on top of their insistence that they were playing for three at the end of Duke, which if anyone saw the end of the USC Arizona regulation, that's example A of why you don't do that in college football. <clears throat> you know, the reality of the situation is he's a 14-7 head coach who took over an 11-1 juggernaut. And while the recruiting looks good and while they look good, the first four games, four and three quarters games of the season, the reality of the situation is it, it's it, they looked woefully unprepared for a very beatable Louisville team in the middle of a stretch that while tough, you know, it's not foreign, right? I mean, this is Notre Dame football. You get used to big games. You get used to taking everyone's best shot. No one's feeling sorry for you. This is what you sign up for. Um, I think they have a chance to rewrite the narrative again this week against USC. Um, you know, I, I don't have a good feel about that game either way, just based on some of the flaws USC has shown so far this year. But, you know, the honeymoon period, I think, is is definitely over. You brought up the offensive coordinator search, and I wanted to talk about that because obviously Notre Dame struggles lately have mostly been on offense. The search itself was very public, and we can tell from that that, like you said, Jared Parker was not his first choice, not second or third for Marcus Freeman. So some people are using that as like a cop-out for Freeman as like, well, this isn't the guy he wanted. And while that may be true, I still feel like as the head coach, you are partially responsible when one side of the ball is completely inept. So how much responsibility do you put on Freeman for the struggles offensively, even though we know that Jared Parker was not the offensive coordinator that he would have chosen? Yeah, I'm with you. I think it's splitting hairs, right? Like at the end of the day, whether it's Freeman's fault, Jack Swarbrick's fault, whomever, it's it's Notre Dame football's fault. Like, they screwed up, at least in their process. Clearly, they screwed up. We'll see whether Jerry Parker can redeem himself the rest of this year and in the future as a play caller. But, uh, you know, I think I think it falls on everyone. Um, you know, it, it, he's the head, Marcus Freeman's the head coach. The buck stops with him. Um, you know, he he's especially as a, a young, you know, now second year head coach. He's only as powerful as I think some of the people above him empower him to be. Uh, and certainly those are learning curves that I think, you know, everyone whatever job you're in, you, you learn over the course of your, of your tenure there. Uh, but whether it was any one individual's fault, I mean, I think that almost misses the point of yeah you know, to, to your, what you were saying. It was a, 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 a failure of process that 
probably led to the situation directly into the situation that they find themselves in right now. And whether it's the coach, the athletic director, the president, whomever, like, this is Notre Dame football. Like, uh, you know, we like, we go into every year saying, can they compete with Georgia and Ohio State? Not, can they afford to get a Utah coordinator? You know what I mean? Like, it's, and it, this is stuff that just should be pretty elementary that clearly wasn't to them. And just partially the reason why they find themselves in the position they find themselves in right now. We'll be right back with Matt Fortuna, but first, a word from our sponsors. Snap into the action this NFL season with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That's $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in the action than now. The app is so easy to use. There's a wide range of betting options, including spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. So, visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to kick off the NFL season. FanDuel, an official partner of the NFL. The weird thing about the season is there really hasn't been a ton of carryover week to week. Like coming right. out of that Ohio State game, you're thinking, oh, well, the offensive line at least found itself in this game. And then they get dominated, especially on the interior against Duke. And I know Duke's a good defense, but still, Notre right. Dame should have better players, especially up front. So now with Jared Parker, I feel like at the beginning of the season, he was doing some really good stuff, including uh, a game against NC State, in which the offense put up 45 points. And for all of NC State's struggles, they are good defensively. So there was like, oh, okay, Jared Parker, we might have something here with him. And then lately, it's been the complete opposite. So do you think that the issues on offense are fixable like in the season now? Or is this something that's going to have to be addressed once the season is over and Marcus Freeman has to evaluate the big picture outlook for the offense? Yeah, fi- fixable you schematically mean, right? You're not yeah. suggesting a firing yet. I, I, yeah, mean, I don't yeah. think there's going to be any in-season changes. I, I don't no, think. No. Um, you know, it seems, again, I'm not a play caller, but from the outside looking in, it seems like a classic case of overthinking yourself, right? Again, like the offensive line made it happen at Duke at the end. It wasn't pretty. Um, you know, it wasn't their best game by any stretch of the imagination. But no one, especially people on Louisville staff, thought Louisville was going to blow these guys off the ball. And I just... <clears throat> We've seen rotations on offensive lines before. We've seen them at Notre Dame before with Hainsey and Kramer back in 2017. But that was stuff that was essentially playing itself out on the practice field, carrying it over onto game day. And it wasn't the center. You know, it wasn't rotating a guy like Billy Schroth, who in his first meaningful action, you're asking him to play in a hostile environment under the lights against an undefeated team, two different positions. And he's playing a different position every time he comes in. Like, I, I just don't that's like the playbook of what not to do to put your guys in in position to succeed. And I, I don't know whether they're going to go with a similar approach this week or not. I, I hope to God they don't for their sake. Cause that just seems like a recipe for disaster for as poor as this USC defense is, they lead the nation in tackles for loss. They're one of the better sack getting teams in the country. They can get after the quarterback. They've got some dudes up front, but better dudes than what Duke and, and, and Louisville had at least uh, on paper. Um, so I, I just don't think this is a time to, to mess around or experiment it, it, um, you know, by, by the end of that game, and I'm curious your thoughts watching it, like the Duke game, while it was, you know, a struggle, like they made a play happen and they won and it was like, all right, like, we know, Sam Hartman's good. Like, this is what we got him for. Like he bailed us out. He made a play with his legs and Audra Casme ran it in. And that's that What you know, the Louisville game, like you almost have to remind yourself that they were winning at one point in the second half, because really at no point. Did you really feel like, like the minute they fell behind, like it, it just felt over? And I'm not saying that's reality, but but that's kind of the lack of faith that in, that offense inspired in the public watching them play on TV that night. 
the moment Maris Leofau got called for that face mask no. penalty, it just felt like it was inevitable at that point. And then Louisville scores a couple plays later. They were down 11. And after that, you're thinking that might as well be 35, just considering at, uh, where things are going in the game. And on offense, watching Notre Dame, it's so frustrating because they've got Hartman and some people are starting to turn on him after that game against Louisville. And I know it was not a really good performance by him, but I don't really know how much you can expect from him when he's constantly under duress and the receivers on the outside are giving you nothing. I mean, it, there's zero production from uh, Notre Dame's wide receivers right now, and it feels a lot like watching last year's team with Drew Pine and the very few receivers they had on the outside. So as a fan, it's really it's really puzzling how Notre Dame is in this position on offense. But I don't want to spend all our time on the offense because defensively, Notre Dame has been really, really strong throughout most of the season, and I don't think anyone was expecting this level of performance from that side of the ball. I think Al Golden has done a terrific job getting the most out of his personnel. They far exceeded my expectations, and now coming up this weekend, they have the biggest test they're going to face all year going up against USC. But like when you look at that group, what stands out to you as the reason or reasons they've been able to have so much success? Yeah, I'm with you, Tyler. I, I I, I I was curious about the defense. I wasn't sure how they'd be coming into the year, and they've easily surpassed all expectations. Even in, look back at the Louisville game. I know they gave up 33 points. They really gave up two big plays, both of which were basically when they were gassed. I mean, if you look at that Louisville drive chart, you know it's four yards, four yards, field goal, field goal, field goal. Like it was just they were put in terrible situations again and again and again. And finally, a really good running back ended up breaking the dam there. But um, you know, I think it's a I think they've done a little bit of everything well, frankly. I mean, the, the, they've got the kind of corners back there that they have not had in years past. Um, you know, the pass rush isn't what it was in years past, but it's been good enough, and it's good enough for these corners. I mean, if you look at uh, the way they played Marvin Harrison Jr., who I know got banged up in the second half of that game, what do you have, three three catches? Yeah, they were covering him well before that. Right. The injury happened and in the second half, and they were locking them up before that play Pete, even happened. Pete Sampson it, it put the stat out there after that game. It was something to the effect of, um, if you said going into last year's Ohio State game, Marvin Harrison Jr. would have 80, 80-something combined receiving yards in two games, and Ohio State would score 38 points across two games. You're thinking you get at least one of those. Like, defensively, these guys did their job. They did really – I mean, again – they damn near stopped them on the final play playing 10 on 11. And it was in the one spot where the 11th guy would have been. So, like, these guys have played extremely well so far. Um, they made life hell for Duke in that first half. Uh, certainly, Duke turned it on in the second half. I, I just think, I, you know, this is a defense that, I hate to say it played above its head, but I think they have so far. And I just wonder how many times you can kind of tap into that well and have them bail you out. Because I don't know what the depth is back there. I don't know, you know, I didn't come into the season think they are going to have to win games with their defense. I thought they were going to outscore people because of the offensive line because of Sam Hartman. And that has not turned out to be the case the last three weeks. And when you're relying on your defense as much as you have, uh, again, I don't know what more could have really been asked from them last week. But now they're going against the Heisman winner. Uh, again, they, USC's receivers aren't quite as deep as they were last year, but they're still probably better than anyone this side of Ohio State. Uh, the offensive line is not as good as it was last year, although they do have some good running backs. Like this isn't like this. Caleb Williams is really good and can beat you by himself. He absolutely can. He's proven that so far this season, but this is not the USC team of last year on either side of the ball, in my opinion. So I think there are plays to be made there, but like, 
they are going to get points and Notre Dame's going to have to score points in order to beat these guys. You can't, I mean, you could argue Caleb got the bad game out of his system last week, at least statistically, um, when they fell behind 17, nothing, it's going to be a challenge for these guys. I I do think they're up for it. Um, much the same way they were up for it with Clemson last year when, when everything was kind of stacked against them. Um, but you know, you said this earlier at the top of the show, like this is a season where there's been very little rhyme or reason or carryover from week to week. And so it makes it a hell of a ride. That's for sure. But it definitely makes it hard to predict what's going to happen. And you've kind of alluded to it already. Vegas doesn't seem to know what to expect from this one. They've got Notre Dame favored by two and a half. When I saw that, I, I literally could not believe it. And part of me thinks, okay, for as much as I and we, as in people who cover Notre Dame, as much as we hyper-analyze everything that Notre Dame does and all of their deficiencies, if we had done the same exact thing with USC, watched every game multiple times, really focusing on everything they don't do right, maybe we'll look at this game differently. So I'd like to ask you, what do you think Vegas sees happening in this game that is the reason why the line is what it is. Like, clearly they think Notre Dame is going to do something well. Defensively, they could have a great game and still give up 35 points because of how good USC is. But clearly there's an expectation that Notre Dame is going to be able to figure things out offensively. So I don't see it. Maybe you do. Help me out here. You know, it's funny because some of the books had, like, future lines last week before the Louisville game, and it was Notre Dame by two or three. And I remember when they were getting blown out by Louisville, I'm like, oh, man, I wonder what it's going to be now, right? Like, that, that yeah. that's off the board, and it wasn't. Um, I think it's easy to pick apart this USC team, at least if we're looking at, you know, under the hood, so to speak. I mean, we had Antonio Morales on our show this week, the Athletics USC beat writer, and he's like, Notre Dame's going to win this game. Like, he, and he said it, like, pretty matter-of-factly. Um, Did yeah, he watch USC, the Louisville game? <laughs> yeah. No, he watched the Arizona game and a couple other USC ones this hey, year where – I don't think Arizona's that bad. They hung, they're not bad, but they, they hung around with Washington. I I think the Arizona bad. State game was more damning for USC than I agree with that. And the the Colorado game where they're without Travis Hunter and Sh- I think Shiloh Sanders. Yep, it's forty one fourteen in the second half, and you almost lose it. Um, like they haven't played anyone, right? Colorado's the best team they played, I think. Um, Probably. so they haven't been challenged really at all. Um. I said, independent of what happened last week, you know, this is a USC team that's going to lose at least two games this year. If you look at the second half of their schedule, I mean, after this one, they go to Utah, they still got to go to Oregon. They got Washington, they got UCLA. Uh, yeah. I just think the PAC 12 is really freaking good this year. And USC's way too flawed to not come out of it with at least two losses, but it's um, I get it. When you, when you look at at least independent of last week, how Notre Dame has played defensively, um, how historically these matchups have gone where you've got the better team on both both lines of scrimmage. And again, Notre Dame did not look like that against Louisville, but I think we know at their best what they're capable of looking at. So I, I understand why they uh, why the Sharps have set the line the way it has, but it, it's definitely eye-opening when you look at the records. Um, it's it's a weird rivalry. Like I was on campus uh, Tuesday night for a soccer game and just talking to some students, other people on. And I'm like, hey, you guys excited? It's USC week. And they're like, eh. You know, like usually it's like it's not as bad as like, oh, Stanford uh, last year, which you know, went wrong for other reasons. But the lead up to the game, there was no hype because it was, you know, it was a night game that ended up not being two great teams. This one still should be a pretty big, important game for both teams. And it just doesn't really seem that way. And by the way, USC, I mean, as much as we knock Notre Dame schedule for playing in week zero and going eight straight weeks without a bye, 
USC played in week zero. They're in the middle of a nine-game stretch without a bye. And the only bye they're getting is if they make the Pac-12 title game because their uh, their second bye is scheduled for the last week of the regular season. So, And when you look at their lineup of opponents, it's brutal. So uh, I, I think this is USC team that's kind of begging to be got. The question is, which Notre Dame shows up? And if the good Notre Dame team shows up that we know they're capable of being, uh, I think that team comes out with a win. What gives me hope for Notre Dame's offense, at least as it pertains to USC, is that USC gave up 193 rushing yards to Colorado. and they are Who was averaging 55 yeah. entering that game and who was down 27 points in the second half of that game. They, couldn't, they cannot run the ball on literally any other team yeah. that they played this season. So with that in mind, you would think that a team with Audric Estime and Jeremiah Love and the stable of backs that they've got – that they would be able to run the ball. We will see on Saturday. As for the fan sentiment, yes, I think a a lot of people are gun-shy, especially with the Ohio State game and how so much went into that, and the excitement level was just off the charts. And then for that to end the way that it did is is really just soul-crushing, to be honest with you. But I think that on Saturday night, when fans see Caleb Williams start dancing around the stadium, I think the energy is going to be brought up a little bit. So let's end on a somewhat positive note here. Even if USC is gettable, if Notre Dame is able to win this game over their arch rival, over Lincoln Riley, over the reigning Heisman Trophy winner, how much would that win change your perception of this team and this season and the possibilities there as they head into the bye week? Yeah, it'd be huge because the alternative is really dark to think about. Back-to-back losses. <laughs> so it's going more of a relief. Week, <laughs> no, but I mean, that's the reality. That's the situation you put yourself in when you lose two games this early. And again, with the bye coming up, Whatever happens Saturday is going to be a narrative that carries with you till you play again against, I think, Pittsburgh in two weeks. So uh, we've seen Notre Dame under Marcus Freeman. They seem capable of beating most teams in the country. They seem capable of losing to most teams in the country. So I think it'd be foolish to say, hey, they beat USC. They're going to a New Year's Six. That being said, that'd be a hell of a good win against an undefeated team that's your rival going into a bye week where you get to, to get a little bit of rest, regather yourself, regroup, come back for the second half of the season and and, and maybe go 10-2 and two and make a New Year's Six, which – even if it wasn't on the path that we all kind of hoped it would be coming into this year, would represent a lot of progress from year one. I agree. And we'll end it there. Um, If you're not already subscribed to the Inside Zone, I encourage you to do so ASAP because Matt's coverage has been terrific all season long. Plus, you can listen to him on The Independent with another friend of the program, Pete Sampson. Matt, thank you so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. And best of luck the rest of the season. And enjoy the game on Saturday. And uh, hopefully you stay dry. (laughs) <laughs> I'll try. Enjoy it out in LA. Avoid all those USC fans, and I'll see you down the road, buddy. Thanks for having hey, me. Hey, I'm just hoping I could show my face in public after Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck. These days, every new potential hire can feel like a high-stakes wager for your small business. You want to be 100% certain that you have access to the best qualified candidates available. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps find the right people for your team faster and for free. I used LinkedIn Jobs a couple years ago, and they made it easy to contact the hiring manager, learn more about a role, and eventually, I got the job. LinkedIn also makes it incredibly easy to create a free job post on LinkedIn Jobs. All you have to do is add your job and the purple hashtag hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word that you're hiring. Simple tools like screening questions make it easy to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. We all know hiring people can be time-consuming, but adding the right team member can be invaluable to your business, and LinkedIn Jobs makes it easier than ever. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs lets you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash college. That's linkedin.com slash college to post your job for free. 
Terms and conditions apply. All right, that's going to do it for this episode. Thanks again for making Lockdown Irish your first listen of the day. Tomorrow's Friday, which means it's time for another mailbag. Be sure to get your questions in. You can send them on Twitter, at Lockdown Irish, or slide in the Instagram DMs, at Lockdown Irish Pod. And don't forget, please subscribe on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Same time, same place tomorrow. See you then.